0: You see people that come in, they don't know each other, and they end up
1: talking. A couple of our regulars have uh, met their long term girlfriends here. We had a marriage here yeah. uh, on a
0: Halloween night years back. Another couple got married
2: through here. So it does build that little bond. This week I'm at Lazy Boy Brewing up in Everett. I'm hanging out with co-brewers Sean and Ty, a couple of cool dudes who I imagine are pretty lazy. Together we chat about the industry, a lot about Budweiser acquisitions and stuff like that, a little bit about what makes their beer special, and also talk about hop contracts, an issue that we haven't really ever discussed on this show, but apparently is plaguing many a brewer. My ride to the brewery today along the interurban trail was relaxing and peaceful, except for a few unexpected detours. A little bit of construction on a trail meant I had to go way out of my way, but eventually found my way back to the Interurban. That's the trail that connects Seattle to Everett and, and all the other towns along the way. And it actually proves to be a pretty good lifeline connecting a lot of breweries together. If you ever want to get to Everett where you've got Lazy Boy, Middleton, Crucible, At-Large, Scuttlebutt's New tap room, or just go a little bit further and make it all the way to Snohomish where they've got a whole other slew of breweries, then you should check out the Interurban Trail. Washington Beer Talk is supported by Craft Beer Club. If you're listening to this, then I suspect you're a big fan of beer. Craft Beer Club ships a monthly crate of carefully chosen beers straight to your door. If you need a good gift idea for the drinker that has everything, I bet they'd still appreciate a bit of beer. You can get delicious beer and support the Cycling Cicerone by following the link in the description, on the blog, or by going to cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. That's cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. I'm your host, The Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. My name is Sean. Uh, I'm the owner of
1: one of the brewers here at Lazy Boy Brewing. We've been brewing here in Everett since 2006. My name is Ty. I'm Sean's guy. Do whatever he tells me. I've been here for between five and six years.
2: Okay, so this brewery has been here for, so you said 2006, so that makes it 12 years, which is... Can I do math? It's yeah, old that's in brewery that right. years. That's that's old in uh, brewery years. That's extremely old, you know, relative to older breweries that are around these days. You guys might be. We've seen a few things. You've seen some shit, yeah. Uh, you're probably the old, maybe the oldest brewery I've talked to so far. So, how did you guys meet? Go ahead. This is uh, a,
1: a good story. So, I was a beer driver for this guy called Jeff, who owned Three Skulls Brewing, and he sold his brand. Same time. John's guy, Kyle, was opening his own brewery. I was at a job and he was out of a... The stars were aligned. Yeah. yeah, not so bad. So I just, uh, was here and that's how I met John. I was just here one day and I was like, should I come in on Monday? And I just said, yeah, let's try three days next week.
0: And then uh, after the third day, I said, oh, let's just try five days next week. Yeah, and yeah. here we are, six years later.
2: So you've, you've been here for six of these years. This brewery has been here for t- double that. How were things different back then? That's, that I could say back then, that's prehistoric. beer how have you seen things sort of change
0: I mean when we came out there was only I think two or three opening brewery openings in the area at that time so I think there was a little bit more of a anticipation when a new brewery came out you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and and, then now there's just basically one a weekend yeah and so there's not as much hype and then there's a different scenario back when we came out it wasn't uh, you know no one did this at home at their in their garage on a one barrel system and decided that they wanted to do this. That was kind of like, not really the situation. Everybody decided, hey, I'm gonna mortgage my house and buy a 15 barrel brewery and get into the commercial wholesale beer game, you know? So it was a different scenario for sure. Mm -hmm. It it took a lot more money, I feel like back in the day. Really? To get back into, to get into it with the wholesale. And now it's more of that everybody's got a tap room, more self distribution. Um, and how would you make a living just doing wholesale beer business? It's very yeah. difficult to make a living just doing that. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. Unless so, you have the volume.
2: Yeah, that's why they're all so big. And So, yeah. yeah so, we've been So I can see that you've got what looks like a mug club or like, yeah, you see a similar thing to this in a lot of new breweries that are funded by Kickstarter or something like that. But this brewery has been around since long before Kickstarter. Before the internet, yeah, just about. (laughs) The wheel had just come out. Yeah, right. I definitely didn't have a smartphone, that's for sure, so I wouldn't have been able to find this place.
0: It's a similar uh, story, you know, we have a certain amount of members, mm. and then we have a, you know an annual incentive that we do, we do like an annual party for them, you know, they get X amount off a pint, you know, incentive based program. Yeah,
1: they're about <laughs> roughly 20 ounce mugs for the price of a 16 ounce mm-hmm. pint, four extra ounces every beer pour. Wednesday, they get a dollar off every day, mug club or happy hour all day. And they get to know these
0: people yeah. pretty well, know, yeah. they come in all the time, so you get to know them by their first name. And the Just be a big family, you know?
1: The 21st of this month, we're doing a mug club appreciation barbecue. So they're all gonna come in on Thursday. We're gonna be out here grilling for them. You see people that come in, they don't know each other and they end up talking. A Couple of our regulars have uh, met their long-term girlfriends here. Oh,
0: there you go. Yeah, we've had a a couple, we had a marriage here uh, on a Halloween night years back. Um, Another couple got married through here. You know, so it does build that little bond, you know, we've got, we've, we, we probably have like the mother of the uh, mug club members. We've got like six to eight people that have been here since we started and they kind of like, they just sit around, everybody knows them and they really kind of connect a lot of people. So we've been really lucky that, you know, people connect one another. It's not just us connecting them, they connect us.
2: So your brewery has been here longer than Middleton and Crucible have been here. Mm-hmm. Describe your relationship with those guys over there. do They're dicks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're talking about literal, you know, <laughs> that guy, Dick, yeah. who runs no, Crucible. No, they're great. No, they're
0: really good. We have a good relationship with them. We do a, uh, a lot of events together, you know, we do collaborations together once a quarter. We do this little uh, triangle of a, a brew, like a little club, uh, what do they call it? The mug, brewery crawl.
1: Yeah, it's a brewery
0: crawl, so we do brewery our crawl. Christmas time, spring, we're doing one in next month. The it's gonna be the dog days, days, of days of summer. summer again. Okay. So we're doing a collaboration, we're doing a, a watermelon colch for that next you know, next month. So we have a good working relationship. I mean, we had to borrow some caustic from them a couple weeks ago, they borrow some grain. I mean, everybody, if you need something, you just, it's really nice to have somebody less than five minutes away.
2: Of the three, you guys are definitely the most established brewery, having been here on it for the longest. Did you find that you had to like support them a lot? Did they come to you guys for guidance or anything?
0: Not really. I mean, Dick at Crucible had a lot of experience prior to that. And, yeah, like, and at Mac Jacks. Yeah, he worked time. at Mac and Jacks, Ability, yeah. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Jeff at Mendelton, he's pretty... We call him, that guy can build anything. Are you kidding? Have you been to yeah. Oh yeah, I've been there. His build-out yeah. was great.
2: It's beautiful mm-hmm. in there. it's insane. So yeah, know we have a good working relationship with all those guys.
1: And
0: or
2: from our way. perspective, anyway. What got you into brewing to begin with?
0: Mm, I got uh, well, way I like to drink a lot of beer. I'm from uh, Seattle originally, so I drank a lot of Rainier growing up, you know? And then uh, I got a brewer's kit, you know, I think it's a similar story for thousands and thousands of people. Got a brewer's kit, didn't do anything with it for a while, got bored one day, made some beer, beer exploded, you know, I'm like, why the heck did that explode? And so I did a little research, started making some batches at home and then I got a job uh, at the Pike Place Brewing Company back in 92 as like a part-timer during the day. And so I worked there during the day, five days a week, and then I worked a restaurant job at the Space Needle in the evening, five days a week. So I was busy. What did you do at the brewery? Oh man, you know, the same thing shit I'm doing now. Washing kegs. Washing (laughs) kegs, making beer, cellar works, you know, selling beer. You know, they were a small place at the time, too. They were only a three barrel system. I think they had four or five, you know, brewers. And one guy would come in in the morning and start it. And then, you know, another guy would come in three hours later. And, you know, it was Fal Allen. A whole bunch of celebrity guys were there at the time. Dick Cantwell and all those crazy. Back in the day. All those crazy cats. So I did a lot of bottling, a lot of keg washing, then deliveries, you know, you just kind of work your way up and then all of a sudden they all left for the GABF one weekend and I was there like, yeah, you're just going to make all the beer. I was like, sounds good. So I made all the beer for the weekend, came back, place wasn't burned down.
2: There you go. Here I am. And here you are. And so then one day you said, wait a minute, I can be, if I know how to do all this stuff, I might as well just open my own place. And that's what I did. Yeah.
0: Uh, not here. I actually opened it up in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Oh. And I worked at the Wincoop Brewing Company before that in Denver. It was the largest brew pub at the time in the country. Oh, wow. So I've done, I think, five or six openings of breweries, worked for other companies, been doing it a while. Worked for the Ram Restaurant for a
2: long time. Okay, so you decided one day after working at five different breweries that you are going to open your own. Well, I and worked the- at the Pike for about a year and a half. Okay.
0: But I started working there on the premise that we were going to open our own, so I wanted to get the experience before
2: I opened my own. Okay. So that was your... Yeah, we were you building... Did, you deliberately did the tr- like the trial there. Right. Okay. I was super lucky. So I got to see what
0: the brewing industry was like and get the romance side out of it.
2: And what kind of stuff did you learn there? This is a lot of damn hard work. <laughs> did, did reality meet the expectation or in what ways were it, was it different? still doing it. So if I didn't like it, I would quit at any time Okay, because there's not that much money in it. Do you want to grow the brewery? What are you trying to? Always growing. I
0: mean, if you're not growing, you're in a, a definite holding pattern and that's mm-hmm. not going to be very good for you in the long term. Definitely trying to grow. We're definitely growing our self-distribution right now our partnerships with our other distributors, they're doing well. So we are growing.
2: Speaking of growth a little more, do you, are you just trying to fill up as much space as you can here locally? Or are you trying to expand out to more regional, get further away? I've, I occasionally see your bottles in like chucks, but usually don't run across them super often.
0: Yeah, about four years ago, we had a big network of Washington and Oregon. And uh, we were with another certain distributor and we Ended that partnership mutually, and uh, we withdrew back into just being hyper local, and that's worked out really well. Mm -hmm. So we are starting to can soon. We're doing a first test run here fairly shortly. We're going to see how that goes, and we just want to stay in Washington.
2: Let's talk about the beers themselves. So where do you get your recipes? How do you come up with them? What do you? What's your inspiration? What kind of what influences the kind of beer you like to brew?
0: I mean, we we love IPAs. Ty and I love IPAs. I love you know, lots, IPAs yeah. is obviously the
1: hottest Does
2: thing. Does it need more hops?
1: Yes!
0: Yeah, that's what we <laughs> always say. That's our old skit man said, needs more hops. So we add more hops. But, uh, I mean, we're pretty sensitive. We watch the trends of what's going on. I mean, sometimes we're a little slow, you know, because we're older. So we kind of think, like, this hazy thing, this is going to go away. And then we made our first hazy, you know, a couple months ago, super popular. And it was like, we need to keep making this, so we're making another one this week. Uh, you know, we try to watch the trends, you know, the fruit things are really popular right now, the session loggers, coming back, everything kind of goes full circle, you know?
2: This, speaking of your lager, this is amazing, I really, really like oh, this, thanks. so good, good recommendation and good choice, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were out of names so we were like, eh, it's just beer. Yeah, just beer, I mean, that's a perfectly good name. How is Just Beer a reasonable name for this beer? Utah, you named it. I didn't name it.
1: Uh, it's just its just a beer. It's just like, a, you know, you want to open up a bottle of
2: Bud or Coors or something like that. You can't stereotype a beer. Yeah. Uh, and it's like one of those kids that they don't like to be labeled yeah exactly when when you know full well that you can you can probably label them if you try but they're trying as hard as they can not to be labeled they don't want to brew any beers that can be labeled so easily and here we are drinking just beer lager and i and i gotta say like that when you say it's just beer lager and i'm drinking i'm like that is it's the beer maybe how about you talk about some of the real actual complex crap that had to go into this in order to make this beer so good time a
0: little patience a little love We put some flaked rice in there, which is usually a no-no in craft beer making back in the day. Went the big domestic route, you know. Pilsner normal. unconventional, we put Amarillo hops in there. It's 4.2 percent. Difficult to make, so your equipment has to be extremely
2: clean. Your yeast strain has to be very healthy. That reminds me of that Budweiser commercial that came out last year during the Super Bowl. They said something sassy like, this is beer brewed the hard way in the commercial, and yeah. it you know it was claiming they're doing all this stuff, but then you know that they really do have like the most scientists and just every single person who knows the most about beer yeah, they, works at Budweiser, and they make a good living doing it, even though the end product they produce is so goofy. And uh, <laughs> I mean, know. the whole craft beer industry is built as the antithesis of it, right? They, yeah,
0: let's not make Bud Light. but now everything's come full. This whole business comes full circle. There's a lot of hypocrisy in this business, as you've seen in the last couple (laughs) years. You know, it's Uh like, oh, wait a minute, we're making a hazy IPA. So we spent the last 25 years trying to make the beer clear, and now we're going to try to make it look like orange juice? Okay. (laughs) Let's do it. And then you drink them, and you're like, this is tasty, you know. They are good. (laughs) God damn it. Yeah, we made a blueberry IPA, you know, and this is like, this is like... Twenty-five years ago, I remember I'd call my old boss at the Ram, and I'd call him every once in a while, and I'd be like, "I'd like to order a keg, you know," and I'd just like bullshit him around. I'd like a keg of Blueberry IPA, and he'd just laugh. He goes, "Okay, Sean," and then that's and you look where it's come. That's what people want. They want these interesting and unique flavor compounds in their beer.
2: What kind of experimentation do you guys do here? What's the what's the most <clears throat> insane beer you've brewed? Oh, we made a uh, kettle sour tapioca beer. <laughs> it sold very well. Do you find that the more insane the beer sounds, the better it sells? It depends on the market. Like in our
0: tap room, it didn't sell that well. But in Seattle, if you go to specialty beer stores, it was, you know, yeah, give me another one. Everett's a blue collar town. They love that. They love the IPAs and Ambers. And when you throw something a little too weird, they, it takes them a minute to gravitate toward it. Blue it's changing. It's yeah. changing, thankfully. I mean, look at uh, what Toggles is doing downtown, and the independent beer bar. They're yeah. they're getting some, you know, little outstretched beer styles down there. They're changing people's habits.
2: One of the things Budweiser's fond of saying these days, and I, I hear this whenever I get into a discussion with one of the with someone who actually works there, uh, is that. Beer needs to band together against liquor and wine. The, the breweries are all wasting their time, you know, with their little independent logo they throw on there. You know, they're wasting their time trying to fight Budweiser. They really should be trying to fight against... Uh, of course, he'd say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's a catch-22, though. I mean, he's got a point. Yeah.
0: Um, I think that a lot of the craft breweries, they do waste their time trying to, like, beat up Budweiser or Coors or, like, I mean... They're just a business trying to make a, a buck just like the next guy. You know, do they have some unfair business practices in certain areas? Yeah, but that's life. That's in any business, you know, you got to get over it. This is this is a cutthroat business, you know, at, at its core, this is cutthroat. So that's where it is. is. It's always been like that. It always will be like that. And if you don't have a stomach for it, then
2: you better not get in it. I feel like you could definitely get lost in the day to day of running a brewery because there's a lot to do. Like you're saying, it's a it's a real job, and the day to day includes fun things like brewing brand new beers and trying new That's recipes. That's really fun. Yeah, and in my mind, the the you own this business, and one of the fun parts about it is doing all the businessy shit out there, and you know, really trying to you know grow your brand and doing all the all, the, all that other stuff you were talking about, and Doing all that comes at the expense of doing fun day-to-day brewing. How do you kind of reconcile the fact that what you sort of wanted to do when you opened a brewery was brew beer all the time and have beer to drink and do fun things and you wound up now kind of having to balance too many different things?
0: I think that's when you come in on Sunday and so the phone doesn't ring and then you can (laughs) actually make some beer and you won't have interruptions. (laughs) That's the perfect day to come in early Saturday or early Sunday morning and make that batch of beer have it quiet, listen to some tunes, and just have fun with it. Otherwise, there's just a million distractions.
1: Whenever we do a new batch, like one that we haven't done before, we both try to be here at the same time because we both want to be like, yay, a new beer, this is way more fun if you've never done it. You know? Doesn't always work. A lot of times I'm gone doing deliveries and he's just, uh, doing another batch or vice versa. But making that new beer, that's the most fun. People always ask, what's your favorite beer? The newest one we got. <laughs> Which one's that right now?
2: Actually, right now, it's been that, that lager. Yeah. That's an outlook that I have also have heard is sort of controversial. Is They say, if you brew good beer, then like sales will follow and everything else will come along. What do you think about that? Is that? Does that hold true for you guys?
0: I think it's definitely a combination. I think I, I, I would subscribe to some of that. I mean, if the juice is good, people are going to search it you know they're going to search for it and so if you have a good reputation i think there is truth to that you know uh there's different levels of breweries that you have to you have to advertise sometimes too you know Mm. especially if you're going to do it in a local thing if you're going to help out the community you know like we're doing a a church thing here in july and they asked us to give us you know x amount of dollars to help put names on t-shirts and i'm made why not you know it's going to a good cause so, it, I guess it just depends on your point of view. I, you know, some brands have to work harder than others. Not everybody is the cool kid. So, there's the cool kids, and there's the have and have nots, and uh, sometimes you got to work a little harder. How does that happen? You want to go into that a little bit? How- Man, if I knew that,
1: you'd be the cool kid.
0: Man, I'd be the cool kid every day. But
1: yeah, how does that happen? Ask the cool kids,
0: <laughs> ask them. Yeah. Huh. I mean, there are certain breweries, so they don't have to do, they don't have to do shit. Yeah. They just put out the beer, and they got a big following, and you know, it is what it is.
1: And there are other breweries that do a lot of marketing, and you try their beers, and you're like,
0: yeah. why are they so
1: popular? Yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I wish I knew how to be the cool kid. I, I would be one, but uh, I think they're right. If you find if you make good beer, eventually, if people are going to find it, but I've known a lot of good breweries in, that have opened and closed following that same pattern too, so.
2: They make great beer, and then they fail.
0: You know, I mean, how many breweries I've known in the last 25 years, they make great beer. They have no marketing budget, and they're gone. Lost their house, lost their wife, lots. I mean, I can count, there's a lot of people like that, man. They make great beer.
2: Sometimes luck helps too. You know, if brewing good beer was the primary component, then you wouldn't have bad beer that you could buy so easily right like what's up with all this with all the as much as I like Bud Light like it's not really that good that's because you know it's got the other it's got that other bit the secret sauce isn't good sauce
0: but there's a lot of craft beer out there that's really crappy too man you know what I mean just because it's just because you open up a brewery and you say you're craft beer and you brew on a one barrel system at your house that doesn't make you a damn professional it doesn't make it just because you made a new IPA that it's like the next thing kind of It doesn't. It's not easy to make good beer. I think it's easy to make average beer. I think it's really difficult to make great beer. Because you have to know your ingredients. You have to have a great brewer, you know? A lot of people can make beer. It's not that hard. I mean, come on. Do you guys make great beer? I think we make above average beer. And I think sometimes our beers
2: are great. The flip side of that is sometimes they're bad. Uh, if they're bad, um, they would, you wouldn't see it. Yeah. What do you do if you brew 10 barrels of a bad beer? Throw it away. Yeah? You throw it just dry, right on a drain? Yeah. Mm. All right. I'll Are come you, with we, a big bucket next time and scoop <laughs> well, up all that. It hey, to Not yeah. like that hasn't happened in a,
0: a little bit, but, uh, you know, it does happen. I mean, Did bad beer happens. Yeah. You know, something? restaurants burn hamburgers, man. It happens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You just do the right thing and sewer it. Move on. Clean up. Don't sell it, man. That'll Heard kill it. you. It doesn't happen that often, but... Mm. What's led to a batch being
2: worked like that? It's usually the process, you know, something when you miss on the cleaning. Mm-hmm. So you wind up with, you know, half extra cup of caustic in, in the beer or something silly like that? or No, just not clean enough, so...
1: Yeah. Maybe okay. a little
2: bacteria left
1: over somewhere. Okay. So the, the accidents I sour. not know
0: Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, go did, I did go through, uh, I went through an eight year stretch where I didn't have one bad batch of beer. So, that was a pretty good stretch. And we're on a good stretch right now, so I don't think we should talk about it because it might yeah, change yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're getting there. We're getting some good numbers here going, so. Because it's I, a I, lot of money when you have to sewer a beer. Yeah, and not only the money, it's just frustrating. And then you it's, have to you do it again. And then you, you have take to do that it beer again.
1: again that you already made. Yeah, and you, you know, like nature supposed to take over now, not the
2: beer. Yeah, watching a beer drain away is like just a. That's got to be. That's got to feel heartbreaking.
0: I can imagine it. No, I think some of our beers are really good. I mean, our hazy was, I thought we nailed it. I mean, for the first time we ever made that beer, I thought yeah. we did a really good job. We had really positive feedback. And so, I mean, we're making it again. We're going to follow that little trend. See it until it ends, I guess.
2: What do you think about that trend? It's a controversial subject. What's well, half up? the
1: people I know love it, half the people I know hate it. I think it tastes good, so why not? I didn't spend 25 years trying to make beer clear. These old guys, that hate it.
2: Do you filter your beer? I love it. Some beers. I love the Yeah,
1: we filter a couple of them.
2: What do you use to do it? You don't have like a...
1: No, my filter's out right now. we have a plate and frame right over there. I was filtering while
0: while we were talking. We have a plate and frame. We had a DE filter for a long time, uh, but the plate and frame works a lot better. A little less cleanup for us.
2: Okay. That's actually a good segue. Let's talk about the equipment, the kind of stuff you actually have here. So what does this brewery look like? Obviously, people are just listening. so.
0: It's a 15 barrel brew house, and we have six fermenters and uh, five bright tanks. So we can make quite a bit of beer. We can make about 3,000 barrels
2: a year, six thousand kegs. You know? That's at max capacity. Or are you? Yeah. Are you? Are you cranking that out? Is that um, about what you're it's at? Been,
0: the last quarter has been really good. Yeah, it's been really good. We're we're at 100 percent right now. Yeah. All All right. Right. We got a lot of we got a lot of equipment. Uh, we got lots lots of room to grow. Um, we're starting to do barrel aging. You know, the canning. So. Mm-hmm. we're we're doing what we need to do you know we're having fun with it we're not sticking to our laurels you know we've changed three years ago we changed our flagship ipa and our regulars you know i thought we were gonna have a little revolt but uh, as soon as they tasted the new one they were all like yeah this is pretty good." you know mosaic hops and simcoe citra mm. it's hard to go wrong yeah it's a good trio
2: what brought along that change what do you think what was the reason for that sales were lagging
0: hmm. Industry was changing, you know, they wanted, everybody want those big dank and sticky hops and ours was more traditionally malt, you know, an English malt version and it was just like, man, we got to you know, sales are lagging, we got to change this, you know, and we made, we did like an anniversary series of IPAs and we made like four or five different IPAs and that one was the best selling one so we decided that that's where we're going to move to. <laughs>
2: That makes me think of a weird question. So when you've got all five of those IPAs on tap, when I go to a brewery and I'm like, I don't know, I'm a Cicerone. I've studied beer and I drink a lot and I can figure out the differences between beers. But something I would never bother doing at a brewery is looking at five IPAs and then Drinking all five and deciding which one is my favorite, and like maybe buying a new pint. So, what I want to know, and I don't know if you'll even know the answer to this question, is how does the best IPA become the best-selling one? Did people drink an IPA, go that I think that one my that one's my favorite? Tell their friends, and then they came and bought another one because I would never buy the same IPA twice if there was five on a list. And then right. I would so there's no metric there that I, that yeah. what I, my own behavior would never come would never translate to. That.
1: All five of these are good. How do I pick which one I like the best? Yeah, good for the ways. Which one would become the best-selling
0: one? I mean, that's hard because there's a lot of components. And the main component is, uh, the main one, is can you get those hops?
2: Hop contracts are a way for brewers to sort of guarantee that they're going to get the hops that they need in the coming years. Basically, brewers need so many hops and farmers need to know what hops to plant, so they have to contract them out years in advance. This proves to be somewhat of a difficult process that can be more of a pain than it's worth. Of course, if you need certain hops, you can just buy them on the spot market. That's where you go when you need just a couple of pounds of some kind of hop, but you can't be guaranteed the price or really know what you're gonna be able to find on any given day. Sean goes into some detail about some of the problems he's had with hop contracts.
0: Because you don't want to buy spot market pricing on everything, so you have to contract them.
2: Plus, I
1: think something that happened was, uh, no. Out of all five of those, that was kind of both of our favorites. Yeah. John's favorites and most. Let's make that one.
0: I mean, I love the one with the citra and lemon drops, but we couldn't get those hops. Mm. You know, they were all sold out. And so it was like, we like this one, like Ty said, and let's go with this. The hops were available. I bought a whole bunch. Of, I was lucky to know somebody who had those hops for sale. So I bought the remaining hops for the year and then got a contract for the next four years. So How do, how do hop contracts work? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's a real, oh, p- pardon the pun, that's a sticky question, isn't it? <laughs> you got to have them. You got to have them. You got to determine which ones you want, how much you think you're going to sell. I, I don't have the best experience with hop contracts, so really? I'm not one to talk about it Well, Because uh, the farmers length. have
1: to plant a certain amount right. that year, so they know how, need to know how much they need to make, but...
0: I think the industry as a whole... Uh, everybody, you know, they they created this big scare when they had those fires in seven and eight, right? So everybody overcontracted. I mean, how many breweries are overcontracted on hops? Raise your hands, because there's plenty. We don't have that many, so we're fortunate. But boy, there's a lot of people overcontracted. The market's flooded. To the spot market pricing under, is cheaper yeah, than our contracts. The- so there's just a big perfect storm of like a whole lot of mess out there in my book. I'm
2: surprised to hear there's not like just a market place that's robust enough for hops to sort of you know have prices that sort of fluctuate and stuff, but you should be able to find whatever you want, right? I mean, when I go to buy hops as a home brewer, I can just go look at a list and I've got two dozen different hops I can choose from. And that's...
0: It's a double-edged sword because imagine if you're a brewery that's really popular and you're using, let's say, Mosaic, for example and there's no mosaics on the market, and all of a sudden you find somebody that has mosaics, and all of a sudden they're $20, $22 a pound. Well, you know, I mean, look at the hop now, the Galaxy. Who the hell wants to pay $32 pounds for a hop? That's crazy. So you've got to contract them out, and then you're gonna see, you know, is that, is that hop gonna be cool in four years from now when you actually get it? Because you have to, you know, you have to forecast it. You have to sign yeah. a contract for two or three, four years to get them. You have to grow the initial crop here,
2: and then you might get them because they have a lot of customers for it. So, some of the beer trends could be our four years in the making. Exactly. Know? Wow. that's a, So, So somebody came up with Hazy IPAs a while back, or Hazy, Hazy IPA is a response to the fact that for whatever reason we've got we to use all
1: our hops. Yeah. we got all the contracts for it. Um, <laughs> could
2: be. How hard is it to say one day? you know, you're bored of the hops you have and you want to brew a brand new beer and you wake up one morning, is it possible for you to say, okay, well I'll get a shipment in a week and I'll brew this beer. I want to brew brew in a week. Is that hard? You can always find the hops. You can find them somewhere. You can
0: find them somewhere and it's now
1: or from different brewers. You can always find whatever hops you want to use.
0: And on the flip side, there's so many new breweries opening. They don't want to sign cop contracts, right? They just want to buy on the spot market. So if you just put out the word that you have extra extra mosaic, for example, you could probably unload those pretty
2: quickly. So if you were to say, "Hey, I've got extra mosaics," that means, "Hey, I've, I overbought on a contract, mm-hmm. and I would like you to come in and help me out with it." Yeah, that's kind of what that means. Mm-hmm. You don't keep how many? I don't know how much. How much hops would you say are on hand at a given moment? Usually, I have about a couple hundred pounds in there. How many pounds of hops go into a batch? an uh, IPA
0: is like 35 to 40.
2: Okay, so you got a couple barrel. of hundred, and then so you've yeah. got you've got enough to brew A couple you know, months. Yeah. But I mean, we have a different varieties of
0: ops too, not yeah. just for the IPA, but yeah. the hop market is it's complicated. I've always, I always overbuy. It just seems like I always overbuy. I'll do the IPAs and it's inevitably all of a sudden, oh, I have all these IPAs. And then all of a sudden, like for us, for example, like our Amber and our Hefeweizen, those were our number one beers. And So I've come to the realization of doing this for 13 years at Lazy Boy. We don't need any contracts. We can just buy on the spot market, you know, unless we really had that golden ticket beer that everybody had to have, you know, cause we don't can, I mean, it's a different market. If you're just doing kegs and if you're doing volume, you know, like if you're doing volume, you gotta have contracts. If You're doing a thousand, 2,000, 3,000 barrels of beer. You don't need a hot contract. But if you're doing 10,000 barrels, you gotta have hot contracts, man. Cause you can't put juice in the can. It can't be different from batch to batch. It's gotta be the same that's what people are buying. From my experience, being the size that I am, I would never do hop contracts. I don't think. And I think in the next couple of years, it's Mm -hmm. all gonna fix itself. I think it's really just depending on the size of the brewery. You know what I mean? And what their popular brands are.
1: Because what other company in the world is like, oh, you like Coke? You have to buy this many for the next four years, or else you don't get it. Yeah, now I like Diet Coke better. But not much, Mm -hmm. and you can never change. They're gonna figure that out too. Okay. But I, I think after, the, after these
0: ones that I, I don't think I'll ever sign a cop contract again.
2: Okay. Oh, we use Budweiser as our distributor up north. Well, we oh, yeah. sell Budweiser. Yeah. Crown. So one of the questions I love to ask brewers is about the Budweiser stuff. I don't imagine you guys plan on selling out to Budweiser or anything silly like that. What are your opinions there's on my that? pen. Would you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think every brewery ever would answer that phone call. And if the price is right, there's a price on it. Take that money, start something else. Take the phone call, right? Budweiser?
2: It's controversial, to say the least.
1: Every time I hear, oh, they just bought this brewery, I'm like, oh, good for them.
2: Why is it controversial, though? Good for them. You guys are saying, good for them, I take the phone call. There are plenty of brewers that I've talked to who have said, without hesitating, that Elysian is dead to them. That they would never do such a horrible thing, you know, as selling to Budweiser. Sure. And, um... They've never gotten that phone call before. No. Yeah, definitely not. And um, so that's why that's why this is a fun question to ask, is because you get these different opinions. And, and you guys have a very honest answer. A lot of people would say, reflexively, fuck Budweiser, because they th- are afraid somebody listening will hear them wanting to sell out and will be offended by that. No, but you guys are talking about that's just business and that's the way that it is. The, legion,
1: the the corporate beers, the loser, yeah. corporate beer sucks when they sold out they put corporate beer still sucks I love that I mean I haven't drank it in a while but
2: and you know for, it's not like Budweiser doesn't do y'all any favors I mean you guys distribute through them so talk yeah. about that a little bit we got free coasters from them yeah hey watch the liquor board might be listening <laughs> coasters oh yeah <laughs> no
0: we do good business with them we have a good working relationship with them they have their own craft division so they really do treat it as a separate business so we don't ever really have to be a part we don't really ever listen to hey, I didn't meet my quota Bud Light sales or Budweiser sales. You know, we just talk about the craft beer and what they're doing for us. So I don't really, I mean, I work with those guys a lot. I don't really ever hear
1: that
0: much about that um, for myself. You know, when I go on like a ride with, sure, they sell what they have to sell. But I think most people when, you know, if you're selling cores, you, you know, you have to have those tap handles and there's a lot of craft beer out there and it's growing and growing and, uh, if people are saying that they're not promoting you know in our case i mean they promote us so they're promoting us so it's really hypocritical for me to sit here and say i hate budweiser i hate bud light when i have to work with those people who live in the area you know they they do everything that everybody else is doing in the community so i mean i think that they get a bad rap of like not to defend like you know they're i mean that's sure every company like do they squeeze the market in the in the grocery stores hell yeah I mean they get their stores they get their price points and you know on a national level do they kind of demean some of their products by price pointing at a six pack at 6.99 or whatever yeah but you know that's just
1: the business side of it and we don't have a salesman or a delivery driver here it's just the two of us that does everything so it's nice to work with those guys to have us help get our beer in the market up north and down south we do king county ourselves but where i grow up- Somebody else did it for us. Sure.
2: What's it like working with them as distributors? I this is I, I knew they distributed. I knew they owned all this stuff. They got to, they get to do all that. But I didn't realize that they would take on competing craft brands and distribute those. So how does how does that work? What's the yeah, what's that business relationship even like? I, I can't even imagine it. What's their end game? I don't know. I mean, not even what's their end game. I mean, well, what is their end game? But also,
0: I mean, I, any company's end game is to have more tap panels and more shelf
2: space. Increase so why are the they, bottom line. why would they take you on as a client? Because they want to increase the bottom line because okay. if,
0: if, I'm, our, I'm just another competitor, like for example, if I'm self distributing up here, I'm taking one of their handles away potentially, right? Mm. So they better, they would rather work with you than against you in some cases. And sometimes these companies, they take you on and they're just bone collectors and they don't promote you and they want to see you maybe not succeed. I mean, would they admit that? But I don't know.
2: That's what I would be afraid of. So the phrase you mm-hmm. use bone collector. Yeah. What, what is that? What is That yeah, That
0: means you're going to die. You're going out of business, man.
2: Oh, my God. But <laughs> if if you see ask. a
0: distributor collecting and collecting and collecting all these brands really quickly, how are they going to do a good job of servicing everybody and representing everybody in an equal way? Well, the bottom line is in the brewing industry, like any industry, they don't. They pick who has the most money, and those brands become the most successful. End of story. That happens a lot.
2: Distributors have a bigger role in, I don't know, choosing the winners. They're the the American Idol judges and, you know, (laughs) sometimes, Mm. and obviously in Seattle with self-distributing, you guys are out there fighting for your own uh, tap handles at bars and stuff. A lot of rotating. We have a lot
1: of permanent handles at different locations, but there's a lot of rotating. Mm -hmm. It's a good mix for
0: us because the self-distribution allows, you know, everybody wants that shiny new penny, right? What's new? What do you have that's new? Well, for us, it's easy to deliver to our customers, like, here's what's new, right? And so when you're with a big distributor, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer to steer that bus to get the new stuff into people's hands. And this business is very fluid. People want the new stuff. The buyers at bars and specialty bottle stores, they want the new stuff and they want it right now. It's a me, me. it's, you know, what did I do for you yesterday mentality. So mm-hmm. it, we have a good mix, you know. Our distributors do a good job of getting new stuff in there. And we do a really good job of like if it's new, we can get it out to market within three weeks. You know. So that's I think that's where you see the whole country is if you're self-distribution man, you know, that's like the big joke, right? Oh, there's another self-distribution white van going down the road and they're dropping off the one keg of the, the one off beer. But you know, you see it over and over and over again. That's what the buyers and the consumers want. They want new stuff. And so I think that's really good in the marketplace that you can have that kind of turnover and that kind of creativity. It creates more creativity on the brewer side. And we because can now focus you know you have to that. make a new stuff. You have the to make new stuff all stuff, the time. Which they can do. And that helps us, you know, have more fun in the job. I mean, can you imagine making the same thing over and over again? It'd be pretty monotonous, pretty boring. Mm-hmm. Another
1: Ember Ale, another Hefeweizen, another Ember Ale. Yeah. Another
0: IPL. I mean, there was a time when, like, 10 years ago when we had a Uh, we were making like northwest hefeweizen and bavarian hefeweizen at the same time and the guy we were working with was like man i'm gonna sell 100 kegs of this hefeweizen a month and i was like ah i don't believe you man and sure as anything he started doing it we were selling over 100 kegs a month of northwest hefeweizen and then shit i thought i was just gonna put pyramid on the front door man i mean it was just like we're turning into pyramid. Let's make another Hefeweizen. We still make the Bavarian Hefeweizen. Sweet. And we have a new peach one for the summer, which so peach been, hefeweizen. yeah, been very
2: popular. Why does Pyramid brew so many Hefeweizens? So much Hefeweizen. They're popular. Yeah,
1: yeah. Every time I do a delivery of uh, our peach Hefeweizen, I'm right in the elevator with somebody and they're like, oh, peach Hefeweizen? That reminds me of Pyramid's apricot ale. And I'm like, it's just Everyone good as has as a friends. really, they have a good <laughs> fond memory of that yeah. apricot ale for
0: some reason. I think they still make it too.
2: Thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it and was. it was a great discussion. It'll be a lot of it'll be a great episode. So thank you. Well, thank, thank you, you again. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah, absolutely. That was a lot of fun. We didn't
1: even talk about any of our bicycling things that we have planned. Oh damn it. Well quick, ram them in. Uh, actually, I actually don't know what they are, Alicia does, so <laughs> uh, we'll email you, know, you the information. I'll get them in the I'll <laughs>
2: Thank you so much for listening. This has been Washington Beer Talk. I'm your host, the Cycling Cicerone. If you want to get more episodes of the podcast, then go to cyclingcicerone.com slash podcast. They're all up there. You can get it on a Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, most of the places you can get podcasts. Don't forget to check out Craft Beer of the Month at cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club to support the podcast and get tasty beer. Gigantic Bicycle Fest is a three-day festival of music, biking, and the arts, and this year, yours truly is hosting the Beer Garden. If you want to help out or if you're a brewer that wants to serve your beer at our beer garden, then hit me up. If you love biking, camping, art, or any combination of those, then register for a ride at giganticbicyclefest.org and use my promo code beer for half off your admission. You can register for a 50-mile ride, a century ride if you're bold, or just come and enjoy the music, festival, and beer, August 24th to 26th. See you there.